Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? Everything good? Fantastic. Good week? Hmm? Not so good week? Okay, well, don't worry. You're here now. And thank you very much for joining us. I am currently in a hotel in Lincolnshire, looking out of the window at a cathedral. The rustling of the trees, the leaves falling off. So if you can hear that, or maybe some people walking over the bridge. What's going on with you? Where are you? I was thinking, you know, with podcasts, you know, I... I'm quite structured. I'll, I'll listen to my favourite ones at certain points. So, say if I, the ones on Friday, I'll download them. I won't listen to them at the weekend. I always listen to them on commutes on the Monday. Do you do the same? Do you have a structured pattern, or do you just listen whenever you've got free time? Interesting thought. Let me know. Thank you so much for all the messages on last week's episode with Jacob Anderson. It was a really beautiful episode. And uh, I think probably one of my favourite conversations that we've had so far. Um, I know it, it touched a lot of people, so thank you so much. Now, this week's episode was going to be a conversation with comedian, actor, writer Natasha Dimitriou. And on Saturday, uh, the brilliant Adam Buxton, uh, his podcast, which I love... She was a guest on his this week. So what I didn't want to do, not that there's a law against it, I just didn't want to cross the podcast streams uh, and have her on ours and on Adam's the same week. So she will come on next week, I think. Yes, next week she will be on. But on to this week, it is episode 63 with stand-up, stand-up, can't even speak, stand-up comedian Brennan Reese. Um, and I probably know what you're going to say. Craig, it's very male-heavy at the moment. It's just male, male after week. I know it's just the way it's going. But next week we'll have Natasha. And then I think we're going to have the live episode from the Manchester Podcast Festival with Ralph Little. Oh, another male, Craig. Yes, I know. But it's just the way it is. It's, it's, I can only get the conversations with people when I can. But after Ralph's... And then right up to Christmas, you'll be complaining because it's all females. It's just female, female, female. So look, we will address this balance. Please do not worry about that. Uh, the T-shirt competition, the design, the T-shirt competition for the Two Shot Podcast is officially closed. We are looking at all those entries and we will announce a winner in the coming weeks. And also, if you're one of those people that donates $5 or more over on Patreon to support us and show the love. And if you are awaiting one of the beautiful enamel badges, don't worry. I've got your name. I've got your address. I've put in an order for some new badges. They'll be coming very soon. So uh, make sure you say hello to the postman. They will be coming very soon. Now, also coming very soon is Christmas. I know. What has happened to this year? It's gone so quick. And what I want you to do is go through this year's episodes, pick out your favourite little bits, give us the time codes, we're going to put them into a beautiful compilation. Uh, Maybe it's just one episode, maybe it's a two-part episode. It depends on how many you get. So go through, pick out your favourite bits, and let us know. Now, this week, episode 63. If you were at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year, you may have seen some theatre. You may have had a few hundred flyers thrust into your face. You will definitely, though, have seen some stand-up comedians. I was there. I saw a fair few. Brennan Reese is a stand-up comedian who's been there at the Edinburgh Fringe, I think he said, for the last three or four years. Um, and we're going to have a little chat with him. Myself and producer Griff went to the fantastic Zifferblatt and Edge Street that were very kind. They gave us a room, and we sat down with stand-up Brennan Reese. Now the sound on this is is not as great as normal. Uh, we were a bit upset about it. The room was very echoey, and Brennan's got a rather loud voice. But your ears will adjust after a few minutes, so don't worry. Producer Griff, yes, let's do this. Uh, 
This is episode 63 of the Two Shot Podcast with Brennan Reese. I'll see you at the end. It's podcast award winning stuff there. <laughs> How is Kendall? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, yeah, we only went for the Saturday. Oh no! Sorry, I can. I was only there for the Saturday. Yeah. Griff was there on the Friday. Who did you see on the Friday? Uh, I just can't remember. Weren't you there on the Friday? I think so. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was it awful. Brennan, was, was it awful? Well, they, they've moved the comedy tent right next to the main stage. So you'd go on it, it'd be like you just hear in the back like, and you're trying to go too. This <laughs> yeah, yeah, jokes, yeah. funny joke. I remember doing it a few years ago. It was, it was dead good. And it, it's probably shit. But the move, the comedy tent used to be right on the other side, like yeah. in the back quarter. Yeah. Not far from like the kids' area. Yeah. That was a much better place to have it. So you don't want to be competing. And it was with dead hot. I just remember like being backstage just sweating. What, what just now? No. In, well, yeah, this year. Yeah, it was horrible. Well, Saturday, first time. Did it? And Sunday, even worse. I kept yeah, looking yeah. at it from my hotel window going, I'm glad I'm not over there. <laughs> so I just went to the spa and went swimming. Yeah. And drank and ate food. That sounds better. In the hotel. And then saw all the other stragglers coming back going, I'm had enough. I, I, him, I don't like Pete Doherty that much. Yeah, not enough to be in that. I took my brother to his first music festival this year. He's 41. And he... he Where was it? it? Latitude. Oh, it was quite a nice, yeah, safe yeah. start. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to take him to Reddit. <laughs> no. But he was... He wouldn't be allowed in, he's too old. Yeah, he'd have he'd to work. I go past Reddit on the train to London when the festival's on, I just go, yeah, too old to be yeah. in there with all so, them I kids. feel too old. It's disgusting. You are too old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> they only like 12-year-olds in to Reading and Leeds. It's Latitude, uh, Croatia. No, it's in Dorset. All right. Um, no, it's the super... It's like so middle class. Super middle class... Hey, look! There's got some theatre going on over there from the yeah. Royal Court about paedophiles. And We've got like a basket know. weaving tent. And yeah, a, yeah that's mega. <laughs> yeah. It's mega safe. And like loads of kids being dragged around in like these cases, essentially. I know what you mean. The the, the American flyers, yeah, yeah the yeah. red, the red things right. that they put all the and they're just on the iPads. And yeah, just bouncing around. And they've got the defenders on. And the, the, the dad's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you're not recording are you? We are. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. <sighs> Did you sleep after Edinburgh? Yeah. Oh, God. For a long time. Not long enough. I thought I'd have a week off. I was going to go on holiday. I thought you were going to go on holiday. Well, I haven't now. Why? Just because I had work to do. Not what? like writing work. Like what? In... Other gigs? Yeah. Did you not go, oh, like... I'm just gigged out. I've just done it for a month. Yeah. Like some stuff that I couldn't turn down, so I was just like, oh, fine. What, artistically or financially, you couldn't turn them down? Half and half. Right, well. Which is good. Fair, fair yeah, days. Yeah, but I was just like, oh, give us a week off. Even my mum gets a week off. And how was your Edinburgh this time? It was good. It was stressful leading up because I left it, a m- I wrote the show in a month. Well, I remember when I texted you about coming on the podcast mm. and you went, I can't because I've got to do this, plus... I'm in Edinburgh in three weeks. I've only just really started writing my yeah. show. Why Why would you... I was just putting it off. Why? Nerves? It's uh, a bit of like, oh, I can't really be bothered, which shouldn't be the case. But you're going to be on in Edinburgh for yeah, a no, month no, doing no. a show every day. <laughs> That's what my mum said. She was like, you're having nose... Like, I was having nosebleeds. What, from a, panic? From stress. I was, yeah. Like the first day I panicked because I had a band in the show. Not doing like... Um, I wasn't doing like songs out, so I basically do like one hour story. But this one, I wanted it to feel better than the other one, so I had band underscore the show. We're not practiced till the day we did it. What until you were up in Edinburgh? Yeah. Not written anything. Talk about flying by the seat of your pants. Thank God, three days and it was fine. <laughs> so I was like, no reviewers, no one in for the first few days, and then because the first date ran at like hour and a half. It's meant to be. 60 minutes. I just really? didn't know what I was doing. Do you, why do you think that was? Was it because you hadn't rehearsed it enough? Or? I rehearsed it. I was like, just trying to make, because I like it quite written. I was trying to make up the end. I was like, fuck. And then the stuff that I was writing about was about 
like the sort of end of it was about a terrible breakup that I've been through. I was like, I don't really want to write about it. But also I chose to write about it. Did you feel the need to write about it as some sort of therapy? Yeah. Every, all, all three of them, I think. Yeah. And is that, this is your third Edinburgh? Third. Three in three years. Crikey. And then I get to have a year off. Not going back. Are you not going back next no year? No way. No. Do you think you will go back? At yeah, some at point? some point. I don't know what doing. It'll be some form of stand-up, but I just... I just don't want to go back and do the same thing every year. Why? Is that what you feel you've been doing for the last three years? Well, I feel it's been, like, growing and getting, like, sort of more, like, story stand-up shows, but, like, if you come and watch every year, you'd be like, oh, he just, just does that every year. It gets a bit boring, doesn't it? Do you, is that something that somebody said to you, or is that an internal thing internal that you thing. feel yeah. that you're... But you're obviously not churning out the same three stories over three no, no, years, no. are you? But if you're talking about the format. Yeah, and, like, people... I guess if you've been... So it's like a trilogy of shows. You can watch them separately, but the same characters pop up in each, so you like you get rewarded for seeing all three. But then... I just think if you've seen three and it's every year, you're like, oh, come on. I guess it's like a, a film director just doing the same film again and again. So I just need a break. There's loads of those, Brandon. What are you talking about? Yeah, but they get a bit boring. <laughs> they don't yeah, really yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. They do get a bit boring, you're right. <laughs> And I suppose you want to switch it up for you because you probably want to challenge yourself in different ways. Yeah, that's the great thing about Edinburgh. You get to do whatever you want, anything. And so, like, I feel I've bled the well dry because they've all been, like, personal. Not like TED, like, there's loads of, like, TED Talk comedy. But people are like, hey, do you want an hour of something that's not funny but means a lot? Right, yeah. And I don't want to be that. No. Because it's pointless. Um, but has it been used? What do you look back over these three shows over these three years in Edinburgh and go? Even though I've changed the, the format now, I'm really pleased that I did that because it did it help you personally in oh, some God, way. Yeah. So these stories you needed to get out. Yeah, like the so it's usually about something big that's happened the year before, and weirdly enough, it came at the perfect time because all the way through my life, nothing's ever happened. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> I've had quite a, the easy life in a way. Well, tell me about that. Tell me about. Growing up, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Ashton, under like Tameside. What a great segue that was. You yeah. I'm just going <laughs> to leave you here for an hour. You can do it yourself, obviously. Perfect. So you grew up where, mate? A place called Ashton Underline. Ashton Underline. We all rough. know that. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I grew up in Blackpool, so... It's pretty rough as pretty well. Pretty rough. Yeah. yeah. It was on no. The Secret Millionaire once. Do you remember what? that show where it, someone had turned up who was a millionaire? What, Channel 4? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started handing out checks at the end. So he was the he was a boss of a big corporation. Yeah. And then he went in. Did he go into like a? He goes and lives in like a council house and pretends Boshy. to be pretends to be like an, an employee for a, a, a shittier firm. Yeah, it? or like he'll go and like volunteer. or be like, I've just moved to the area. I can't get a job. See you's nice. All oh, right, okay. And give him a grand. Right. So it's seeing how the other half live. Mm. Prince and the pauper esque. Gives him a grand and then leaves. <laughs> then leaves. So Ashton underline. Yeah, terrible place. But, like, I've got nothing against it. Like, my mum still lives in the same house I was brought up in. Um, but there wasn't really much scope for being creative. If you were creative, you were gay. <laughs> That's what happened at school. Like, we didn't do drama or anything like that. Was you not on the cricket? No. Nope. I remember at, at school, like, people just being like, no, you need to be good at rugby or punching yeah. people in the head. <laughs> which it. is which is what rugby's called in other schools, yeah, just yeah, punching yeah. people in the head and running around with a ball. What are you doing after rugby? Double punching people in the head. Again. <laughs> Again. <laughs> um, so I don't know how I really fell into it. But, but I think... How, how was school life? Sorry to interrupt you. It was... Challenging? So I'm just blowing it was, my tea. It was, it was good and bad. Like, the first few years, like, I sort of class... Primary school, I don't really class that as school... I think it's because my mum worked there. So she was she a teacher? She wasn't a teacher, but she was... Dinner lady? No, she was like a... Helper. Like helper. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going until I get one. She was like a learning mentor for all the naughty kids. Oh, right. Okay. So she never taught me or like, had to deal with me, but I think it sort of protected me for the first six years. And then when I went to secondary school, oh God. A big wake up. Yeah. Like, just because I was like, oh, I can do what I want. Like, I remember in the first few weeks we had to do an assembly and I was like, like, we need someone to play a woman. And I'll be like, I'll do it. 
<laughs> and literally found out quite quick why no one else wanted to. I'm prancing around in like a floral dress, doing a show about bullying. Which one resulted in me getting bullied. Oh, oh did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was an all-boys school. It was an all-boys school. Was this, this in Ashton as well? This was in Ordenshaw. So, like, the town next to it. Right, okay. And um, it, it was like one of them that used to be like, like a grammar school and then was like downgraded for being so rough. So when I started, it was quite rough. So when I got there, like every week I'd be like, Mum, I've got another pair of glasses broken. She had to go in all the time. And then I realised that if I was, if I stood up to her, not through fighting, because I tried that, that didn't work. Good one. <laughs> I remember when I was in like second year, and on the first day, I think someone called me gay. I got called gay quite a lot. And I marched up to this group of like year sevens thinking, I'm a year eight. I was like, who called me gay? And then this, like, six-foot lad who's, like, oh, ten. I did. <laughs> I did. I was like, right, well, I'm about to get battered. <laughs> um, but you're a tall... You're quite a tall lad. I, mean, I wasn't at school, though. Really? Like, I think I was year ten, four foot seven. And then one day I just shut up. I was one of those. Yeah, I was yeah. a bit like that. I, I, felt, like, I don't know what to do with these I limbs. I felt like it, one of those things, you know, in Tom Hanks, in uh, in Big, when he wakes up in yeah. bed, I felt that like it was just, like, happened overnight. Yeah, Not yeah. that I turned into a man. I'm still trying to do that, <laughs> obviously. But, yeah, you feel like really... People always said, oh, I was always tall. Like, I never thought of myself as always tall at all. No, I, like, I was... I had curtains, the hairstyle. Tick. Glasses. I didn't have glasses. I had my brother's old blazer, because right. we couldn't afford a new school uniform. That's four foot seven. Classic, classic bully material with yeah. the hand-me-downs. I know. So then I realised that if you said, like... Do you know, if, if someone said something about you, like, what, are you gay? And you go, yeah. And you go, what? You go, yeah, do you, do you fancy me? And then other people would laugh and the attention would be on them. I think that's how I got good at being funny around people. Because you had to be, otherwise you were going to get punched in the face. Yeah. Well, you've got to turn it around sometime. Sometime, yeah. It took me about three years to learn. And then I was cock of the year. You were not. <laughs> <laughs> of course I wasn't. <laughs> I don't remember being cock of the house. Like. <laughs> so speaking of the house, so it's you, your mum and your brother. So me, mum, dad, brother, sister. Yeah. Brother, sister, both older. Right. Both into, like, performing. Mum and dad, nothing to do with it. What were they doing? My dad worked in a battery factory. Right. My mum just, like, did different jobs. So she did, like, Meals on Wheels, worked in a bar. Worked in worked a at school. school. So she was, like, one of those mums who was, like, I've got 14 jobs. And you're, like, yeah, but they're not all full-time. Like, always, you know, always trying to make you feel bad that they work <laughs> the correct amount of hours. Yeah. Um, so, like, it was quite a weird growing up because... Yeah, my brother's 10 years old, his sister's 7 years older, so I didn't feel like I had... I felt like I had four parents instead of two brothers. Uh, yeah, two, oh, brother, a brother and, and sister to yeah, knock yeah. about with, yeah, because of the age gap. Yeah. And when you say they were into the performing, what were they up to? So my brother, he was doing all right, actually. Um, he... When he was, like, about... It was, like, one of those ones he went, like, a, a youth theatre and then got good, so got an agent when he was, like... 13, 14. Yeah. And then started popping up in things like period dramas and stuff. And then my sister was a dancer and did that as a job, actually. Like, she she went on to be, like, a ballet dancer again. A professional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Did it in the circus. Did she? Yeah, yeah. She got married to, like, a Samoan fire dancer. And now she's engaged to a Ukrainian bear trainer. No, no, is she still in the circus? No, 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 she's out now. She's too old. God... Have you done stand-up about her? No. That's... Oh, I've done stand-up about her, but not about that. Oh, right. I was say, yeah. That sounds like material right there, doesn't Yeah, it? my sister's like one of those, like, she's very hippie-ish. Do you know one of them? Yeah. So that's easy pickings. Brother, on the other hand, quite boring. So he's never had a joke written about him. He's <laughs> <laughs> not boring. Oh, God. He's not boring. He's just you do quite... realise he might listen to this? No, podcasts are fun, aren't they? He's not going to listen to it. <laughs> I don't know. It depends. <laughs> he, uh, it's quite... Like down the line, oh, right? I, yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I don't think you mean boring. You just mean sort of very sort of straight down the line. It follows the rules. Yeah, it, it, this is what it is. Yeah, you it's don't like, get much comedy from that. Yeah, well, we'll see. You could try. There's your new Edinburgh show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just all about my brother. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, how you can't make a show about him, but you actually made, made a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, was the times at school? That were particularly hard. 
Yeah. Like, I think it was when I got to about like 14, 15, bit older. You get very self-conscious, don't you? Well, of course, because your body's changing, you're changing. Yeah. You, you, tend, you know, you don't know what's really what's going on. At but times. there was just no one else around that was into the stuff that I was into. And what were you into? So I was into dressing like a skateboarder, but never skating. Right. So I used like, to carry around a skateboard. Did you, you even have the prop of the skateboard? Yeah, yeah. Just walk around with it. Don't know why. <laughs> never fancy just jumping on. But I think I once went to a skate park and fell off quite immediately. So I was like, nah. Yeah. I'll just carry it. Um, and it's a good look. It's a strong look for a 14-year-old kid. Strong look. Like a, a short sleeve flame shirt. Right. Twisted spikes. My sister's 40-inch baggy pants. Class. And then I was into, like, music. And then into comedy. Always been into it since I was a kid. So the comedy came before the acting? They sort of came at a similar time. So I went like a youth theatre, but I also discovered like my brothers. Like my brother used to bring home like Lee Evans DVDs. No, not even DVDs, videos. Eddie Murphy Raw videos. I'll just explain to the people listening, the younger people, a video was a <laughs> tape that we put in a big machine. Um, VHS. Yeah. Well, I, you were very lucky. My first uh, video recorder was a Betamax. I don't know. You don't even know what that is? No. Oh my God, even you don't know what that is. No, no I don't know what that is. <laughs> Some people know they listen to this. I'll so, tell you, you'll be listening, you'll know. Who? My brother. Oh, he'll, he'll know. know. He'll probably still have one. He'll probably put up in his loft. Yeah, yeah. What's your brother's name? <laughs> Lee. Lee, sorry, Lee. Get, get your Betamax down from the loft. So was the inspiration, was the, all these, these tapes coming home? Yeah, I never knew I wanted to do it, because I didn't know you could do it as a job. But you were passionate about it. But I just it. loved it. It was just, it was always men as well, so it made me go, oh, look at them just prancing around and getting to do what they want, and people laughing their heads off. Because I'd always been a show-off. So you were like that as a kid? Were you one of those making the adults laugh as yeah. a kid? Doing magic tricks, you know, doing like impressions, and then just like loving that attention. What, what were your top three impressions? I used to do um, Chris Tarrant's laugh. Chris Tarrant's <laughs> laugh? Yeah. That's very specific. <laughs> I thought you were going to go down like the Coronation Street route. I remember just doing it, because it was when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Yeah. The most expensive quiz night ever was <laughs> on telly. So I just used to do that, which was, I don't think, I don't, it just used to go, huh, huh. that was basic. <laughs> and my, my parents' friends... I wasn't even going to ask you to do it, and I, you just I, did. I don't know why that's coming. I've not thought of that for years. Maybe I'll bring it in the ads. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd do share. Like, Sorry, I thought you were going to say, I was going to do share. <laughs> a story. Yeah. So just share. Share. But do you know when she sung, Do You Believe in Life After Love? With the, um, what is like that? Like a vocoder. That's it. So it's more of an impression of a vocoder. I'm not going to ask, but f- feel free to do the vocoder. I don't. You don't. I don't, I, I don't know whether I can. It's not. It's not one of those podcasts. No, we'll release. So that. share the share. Good tech. There was another one. And then what? What other ones would I do? I used to. I used to be mad into wrestling, so I do like Hulk Hogan impressions. Did you? Yeah. But I just rip vests. Brennan, <laughs> <laughs> that's another bloody t-shirt I've got to buy yeah, this yeah, yeah. week. <laughs> just like your gym vests. <laughs> so watching those guys perform stand-up helped you like in front of the adults and making them laugh yeah and I'd do impressions of comedians as well so I'd do like I'd learn bits so I'd literally like write down little routines yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but think they were my own I'd go into school and tell people about like stories about me driving like Billy Connolly's got this brilliant routine about his dad getting a something to do with like a a prescription windscreen and a point pass it off as my own no. I'm like, 12 year old kids don't care about windscreens or prescriptions, but. Plagiarising at such a young age. Yeah, yeah, I was nicking jokes <laughs> <laughs> like a true comedian. Isn't that scorned upon in the stand up community? Yeah, it didn't used to be though. It used to be a shared thing. Did it? Yeah, yeah, in like didn't... the 70s. People would turn up because they'd all have these hack jokes and they'd be like, right, I'm going to do the one about my mother in law, you can do the one about the people from a different country. Right, yeah. That was very well put, wasn't it? Choosing your words very <laughs> yeah. carefully. But you were quoting, so you could have said anything. It's fine. Could have said and, anything. And it was the 70s. We all know a lot of horrible shit happened. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we know everything yet. Oh, God, of course we don't. <laughs> okay, we're I don't fed, want to know. We're, we're, we're fed what we need to be fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, there's, there's more there's more cobwebs in that. 
closet. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were, even though you were watching these tapes of these stand-up comedians, yeah. and you were enjoying them, was it more for a hobby? Because as you say, you didn't realise that you could do that for a living. Yeah, it was it was more of a hobby, and it'd be things that I probably would take into going to like a youth theatre, and do you know when you go like. When you get taught how to act and they go, okay, go make up a play for two hours. And you do like a scene where two boys are just pushing each other. Going, nuh, nuh. Yeah, yeah. I'd bring it into that. So I'd try and be funny in those. Again, not knowing that you could do it as a job. And then became like the funny one at youth theatre. Like, do you know where it's like, oh, well, you'll always be the, the jokey part. And then I guess that's where I started to go, oh, this is it's great and then that girl's got interested I'm like this is even better and they're like we just like it was a friend I was like okay maybe it's not great (laughs) (laughs) so that's where I sort of found my feet just going to I used to go to this place called it was called Northern Kids Northern Kids Northern Kids was that like a like a stagey school type thing or yeah sort of like it was like you go on like a Tuesday night you might do a bit of acting, bit of singing, bit of dancing. Right, okay. And then yeah. every six months, they might do a show at a local theatre. But only Northern kids are allowed. Only Northern only kids. Northern. And then it changed to like NK. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. With this couple tra- of stars. Trying to be cool, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What are you doing tonight? Just popping down NK. NK, yeah. Do you want to do a bit of NK? <laughs> Sounds like a really bad drug. Yeah, <laughs> it was for about seven years. <laughs> And then that's where I, I just, like, found my people. Like, do you know when you find your people when you're Absolutely, growing up? Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, of course. And that meant loads, because even though I probably didn't learn loads, I learned how to be on stage, like, be confident on stage. And I wasn't learning, like, techniques. I was just learning how to be confident in being yeah. a part. And d- also within yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because, you know, if you're not having that outlet at school... You, you're going to be slightly introverted anyway because you yeah, can't yeah. get to release it. Yeah, totally. And like, it was like that safe haven on a Tuesday, you'd go, you get to do this thing and then you have to put up with school for a week. Get I, out, I wasn't really into like footy or any, like, I never wanted to do any of those things. No. I just wanted more and more of going to like drama class because it, it meant that you got to, I was never really, I wasn't thick at school, but I just wasn't bothered by learning about stalagmites and Tudors. So when I finally got to that, oh, you get to do a play. Or oh, it was mainly like musicals. What, in school? In oh, Well, I did do one at school. This was, the, oh, I forgot all about this. This was the saving grace. This was like the karma of having to put with five years of shit at school. So never did any of their school productions. And then in the last year, I was like, I'm going to do it. I think my mum taught me into it. She was like, go on, do the school production. You've been there for five years. It'd be a nice way to end it. And um, we did a sound of music, but obviously all boys' school, so all lads. And then they brought in some girls from the college nearby. And I got to do a scene where I got to kiss this girl who everyone fancied. And everyone was like, just buzzing the dicks off. Everyone's like, oh my God, are you going out with her? And I'd be like, well, I think we are, yeah. (laughs) Even though it's just in a scene. So right at the end of my my five years, it, it meant that I was sort of worn. I don't speak to any of those pricks anymore. Don't you? No. 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 Apart from when occasionally I might get like a a message on social media being like, I saw you know a stand-up. Can you get us some tickets for Peter Kay? I'm like, Just don't, bye, mate. Don't reply. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you, as long as I've known you, and I must tell everybody, the I didn't know that you'd gone into stand-up, stand-up mm. comedy because I only knew you as an actor because how many years ago? I reckon we met about 10 years ago. 10 years ago? Yeah, it would have been 10 years ago. Myself and Brennan, Martin Compton and Felicity Jones and Alfie Allen were in a, a film together. And that's the only reason that, that, that I, I, I know Brennan. And then I think it was Martin who said that, he, did he come to see you? Or he'd, re- he'd saw a bit of you doing stand-up. Have, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait. Really, he's really gone into stand-up comedy. From acting, but obviously now we're digging deeper and we know that the stand-up comedy influence has been there from such an early age. Because I didn't know, as I said, I didn't know you could do it as a job. So when, like, so I left, like, drama school when I was, like, 21. 
was hold, looking. Hold your horses. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a big, but because we're, we're following quite a nice line here at the moment. So after school, yeah, you said goodbye to all those pricks. Bye. And what was? It, did you re- did you have a next step? Oh, I went to college. So I went to college that I had to get a train to because I knew they did drama. So nowhere near me did drama. Right. So you were allowed to to do drama at college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So I did like things like I did. I must have known I wanted to do because it, it was like drama, media and studies. The most pointless A-level of all time. Yeah. Film studies, English literature. That was the that was the trade-off with my mum. Right. She was like, do a sensible one and you can get, go and do drama. <laughs> so did, she, did she realise at this point that that's what you wanted to follow as a career? Yeah, I reckon so. So did she want you to sort of have a fallback, like have a plan B? Yeah, because they're pretty supportive. So she was never like, right, well, you need to get your maths thing before you get this. But she was also being sensible that is a ridiculous thing because my brother had already already tried and out for a go and by that point I think he'd quit acting so my mum was like well I don't want two unemployed little shits in the house and it seems funny because when you talk about your brother especially now that he's quite a I told the line type of guy yeah that he would have even dipped his toe in, in that precarious field do you know but, what I mean? yeah like so because like, it, it is mad isn't it when you I've got this idea and I'm going to have a go at like, cause it's not like when you try and do other jobs where you can be like, right, if I'm a lawyer, I start as an intern and I work my way up. Even if you want to work in production for TV, you start off as a runner. Yeah. There's no like, right, well I do this little apprenticeship. Obviously you start off with little roles unless you're dead lucky. But the fact that my brother was so fancy free, he had long hair then. I was skinny. It's all changed. It's all, all changed. changed. <laughs> all changed. <laughs> so the fact that he, yeah, he, he was going to be an actor and he was doing all right. And then, like, life came along, kids and all that. Yeah. He was like, I think he was like 26. And he was like, Can't but also, this. you know, fair play. People go into it and then the priorities change. Yeah. And you just got to go, well, you know, that's great. Maybe it wasn't for you because, I know, you know, I've spoken about it so many times. It is such a difficult business. It's mad. That's one of the things that I love about stand up compared to acting. Mm that you're a bit more in control of your destiny. There's no circuit for acting. And also probably because when you, you're a stand-up, you answer to one person and you answer to yourself. Yeah. And if you want to get good quick, you just do more gigs. And you can... Like, you're not just waiting for that phone to ring. You can just go on the open mic circuit and get good dead quick. Or, well, there's some people who've been on it for like 10 years that haven't. But they just love doing it. So... With acting, you're just sort of waiting and hoping and you need an agent to get in the door. And then, you know, some people might go to the fringe, but again, it's such a tiny percentage of people that win at the fringe. So with, act, with, with stand-up, you can just go about and then you might get a little bit of work so you can do a part-time job and then you're doing maybe 10-minute spots on a professional bill and you just work your way up again and again and again until, weirdly, it's your bloody daft job. And you're doing it all the time. You're doing it too much. Do you yeah. think you're doing it too much? I think I've got to a stage now where I need to, like, live a bit of life. What, just... what for material? Because obviously your shows are so personal. Yes and no. Like, so for material, but also for, like, being a 31-year-old man who needs to enjoy some of his life, maybe. Well, yeah, of course. Otherwise, it all becomes about work. Yeah, like, all, there was one point where all my friends were just comedy friends, and then all we'd do is talk about comedy, and you'd be like, who's doing this? Who's doing that gig? And you go, why am I always dead anxious? <laughs> oh, it's because we just talk about work 24-7. What's it like being in a room full of stand-up comedians? Boring. <laughs> it's Apart fucking from, well boring. <laughs> is, is, it, is it at all toxic? Yes. Especially when you're a younger comic on the rise... Because you get these people that have had their chance. Not that they'll never have another chance again, but they're like, who are all these young E4 comics? That's what I used to get called. Like oh, e- really? Everyone thought I wanted to be a presenter. What, because of the way you look? Just because of the way that I look. And also, you are, as long as I've known you, a very happy, happy man. Yeah. So I think everyone was like, well, he's just using this as a sideline to get in, you know, to present it on MTV. I'm like, no, I love stand-up. Yeah. Like, You're taking our bloody gigs. He's like, you haven't written a new joke for 20 years. <laughs> You're still doing jokes about Rebecca Luce and bloody <laughs> vajazzles. Sort your life out. So it's, it's very... Because there's... I think everyone's trying to get on the telly. And I don't know why, because it doesn't mean that you're 
better. I guess the financial element is better and it means that maybe you can tour. But there's only a limited amount of spaces. So it's sort of bottlenecks. And in that bottleneck where people who are good, who can do the job, maybe better than you, but they're just older or not right or too bitter, I don't know. Then that's when the negativity starts to come out when you get these, it's mainly men off the Northern circuit where I've sort of cut my teeth who are like, I've never heard of this bloody lad. You're like, it's because you don't, you, you've not gigged outside the M62 for the past five years. Yeah. So it, it, it can be quite daunting. I nearly quit when I first started because you start off doing all these comedy competitions where like, you would do like five minutes and it's like the newest student comedian or the newest BBC radio, whatever it is. And I won a competition in my first five gigs. And it was one here in Manchester, the Frog and Bucket Comedy Club, where yeah, I first started. Yeah, that's pretty famous, isn't it? Yeah. And basically it was just, there was like 10 people, they had to do five minutes, and then there was a winner. And I won against people who were much better than me, but I was just, I think I had all that confidence and energy of being like, well, I've been on stage at a youth theatre for most of my life. And the amount of hate that I got from other comedians being like, you need to quit. And then I got a terrible review off like the main comedy reviewer. I don't know why he's reviewing new acts. Being like, this stuff is rubbish. And it was rubbish, but I was also five gigs in. Yeah. And it was only my mum that made me, I was like, I'm stopping. I, I don't want to annoy all these people. I feel like I'm a bad c- comedian. I wasn't even calling myself a comedian then. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to, I've had a go. I'm going to quit. My mum was like, why? You, it makes you happy. You've made all these new friends. And are you going to let someone who's got a blog stop you? Or was it even a blog review? Well, it's like an online website. Because of those offline websites. <laughs> but like, is this website called Chortle? I'm aware of Chortle. And only industry people look at it. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter. And it was this guy called Steve Bennett who... You name him, Shane. Go yeah, on, get it out. You know, who cares? He's, yeah. he, he wrote it, so... Yeah. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> and and some of the stuff he was right, but I just don't think you should be reviewing... It's like it's like a bloody Lynn Gardner going reviewing a, a, a bloody drama school showcase. Yeah, Do you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, 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 of course. You don't get a chance to be creative because you're worrying that bloody Steve Bennett's in at the back. Um, so yeah, but you shouldn't. Mo- you shouldn't. You, obviously, you shouldn't feel that at no. such a, an early age in like your stand-up career. Five, five gigs in, yeah. Can you tell me about your first gig? Yeah, it was. It was at the Preston Frog and Bucket, which is now dead. I was going to say I didn't know there was a. I yeah, not live not well. I'm from not far from Preston. Obviously, I didn't know there was a Frog and Bucket. I think it's Preston. now. A, I think it's now like a club called like Shenanigans or something like that. Oh, <laughs> like a horrible. That wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> where it's like. Over 30s, everyone's in blue fishnets and, oh, no thanks. There's one like that in Blackpool called Rumours. <laughs> Still there. Still Rumours. Rumours. No, not for me. I think I've spoken about Rumours on the podcast Have before. You? It keeps coming back. Maybe you're keeping it in business. It's always on its last legs so you give it a shout out and then Rumor, it gets packed. Rumours, feel free to sponsor the Two Shot Podcast <laughs> whenever you like. Big shout out to Rumours Blackpool. I feel dirty just talking about I know, it. Horrible, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, go on. Preston Frog and Bucket. So I booked it in. It was my 24th birthday. I was like, right, on my birthday, I'm going to book one stand-up gig just to do it, to say that I've done it. Booked it an hour away from the house so no one would see me. And it's this thing called a gong show. So if you shit, you get booed off. Oh, you got last five minutes. Dive into the deep end. Yeah, yeah. Because that's the only really way you can get into doing it, doing these gong shows. Because it just gets rid of the proper crazies. So I turned up and none of the other comics would speak to me, apart from this one lad, it was dead nice. I don't think he does it anymore. And then as I turned up, I was bloody nervous. I'd planned what I was going to wear like weeks before, practiced in front of the mirror. I really tried to do, like, tried to do bits. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I turned up and there was this lad who I used to live with at drama school from Preston. And he goes, yeah, mate, what are you doing here? And I thought, shit, I didn't want anyone to know oh, that I was ever trying it. alive. And he's, luckily he's one of my mates. And I was like, I'm on. And he's like, you're not. And I was like, yeah. And I remember as I was walking to the stage, he looked more nervous than I did. Because he was on a date as well. Was with he? a girl who's now his wife. And he was just like, 
basically just being like, please don't be shit. And I just rattled through it. I don't know whether there was any jokes in, but I must have done about 10 minutes of words in about five minutes, rattled through so no one could heckle, no one could boo me off. And then I won the, the thing that night. And it made me go, well, maybe I'll do it again. And then I did another one and won it. I was like, I think I'm the best stand-up ever. <laughs> then I did a third one at the comedy store in Manchester. Which is still a gong thing. Still a gong thing. King Gong, the worst one. But the other ones, they have about 10 people on. This one, they have about 40, because they're like, hello, I'm from Birmingham. Get off. Yeah, yeah. Hello, I'm wearing red shoes. Get off. And I remember just being like, get to the mic. If you can get to the mic, you can start speaking. They won't get you off. And I was looking at the micro- microphone stand so, so much that I tripped up and just face-planted the floor. And everyone laughed. And it gave me like 30 seconds grace period. Oh, brilliant. So my first three gigs, I Did they think it was part of the act? I thought, thought it was part of the act, yeah. And uh, so I won the first three. I thought, this is it. I'm the next whoever. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling people, I'm inviting people to gigs. Oh, we are. Yeah, yeah. I was like, literally got really a bit confident. confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, wait till you hear my joke about me looking like someone from Wham. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then the fourth one, I did a proper gig. Because word had got around man, she's like, oh, there's someone who's new. And he can do like five minutes. And how long were you doing? Were you doing five? Just five, yeah. And then I got invited to go and do this gig in Rochdale in this snooker hall. Paid gig? No. No. <laughs> Ten minutes between two professional acts and, oh boy. <laughs> Anytime I smell the smell of like, do you know like chips that you get from the swimming baths when you finish swimming? Yeah. If I smell them, it reminds me of that gig because I was dying. Just dying to death. From, from word go? From the word go. So what is that feeling like? You know, the feeling when you get on stage, you're doing the gong shows and it's flying, they're laughing, you can't hear the gong, they're not yeah, waiting yeah. for it. You must, uh, certainly internally, start to relax a little bit. Yeah. But with this, when you're dying, is it completely the reverse? Do you start to tense up? You Does your mouth go up, dry? You fluffing words, you're going off script. I'd seen people do that like, crowd work. I'd never tried doing that. So I'd be going, like, I'd see people, you know when they go, like, what's your name, where you're from, what you do? I thought, that must be easy. So I'm dying. I can hear a game of snooker behind me. Behind a, it's like you've been heckled by, like that. Oh! <laughs> nice one, Jeff. You're like, oh, <laughs> God. So, so I'm panicking. These are people are far too well lit. And then I'm going, so what's, what's your name? And they're like, my name's John. And I'm like, you're a prick, aren't you? You're like, what? <gasps> you just, just go out with the insult. Just go out with the side one, eh? Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know what I was doing, apart from ruining the night for everyone. Did you last a full turn? Well, he couldn't get you off. Oh, really? And I think I'm quite... I'm one of those people where I turn up on time. I'm always like, I try and be prepared for stuff. So I was like, well, I have to do 10 minutes because I've told someone I'll do 10 minutes. Would have been better if I got off, I reckon. Really? Because the MC... He wasn't a comic. He was just this fat man who owned a snooker club. He had his own wireless mic and he kept chipping in. He didn't. Yeah, yeah. Helping you out. <laughs> he, <tried to> help <laughs> you out. <laughs> he kept doing that thing, do you know, when when you get like, if you go like a, a working man's club and they throw the mic up and catch it, like they do with like a little 360 flip. Yeah. And he'd be like, that was a good one by Brennan. I was like, mate, shut up. I'm trying. <laughs> so I, I proper tanked. How did you feel after that? I don't know, I think in my head I've looked at it very, like, through rose-tinted spectacles where I'm like, do you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me. It was a turning point in my yeah, career. I needed that. I probably did need it. But I think I went home and probably cried. Yeah. <laughs> There's been a lot of them where I've had some shockers. But you need that. Everyone needs it to get good. Because you just get complacent. But I've had some, literally, because I care, I proper care about it. And I want to be good. I'm not one of those people where I'm like, I want to be the best stand-up in the world. I just want to be as good as I can be at it. I've got home. I mean, mum's had to pick me up off the floor because I've been literally physically sobbing. She's been like, I can't do it. And I don't know I don't, I don't, I don't know why it affects me so much. Less now. Well, because obviously because you care so much and you're you're going into what a lot of people probably listen to this and 
everybody on the street would go, what's probably the hardest job? And I'm talking about in the creative industry. I'm not talking yeah, about yeah. a really hard job. A stand-up comedian, because it's just you. I mean, I can only imagine it must be so exposing. Can especially be, yeah. if you're talking about, um, where was the gig? Rochdale. Rochdale. Yeah, I mean. You know, they, they, they like a specific thing there, and I wasn't it. But you take it personal, you think... Like, do you know we've acting, say, if you go for an audition, we've all had a bad audition. I've had loads. Too many. <laughs> and you come out and you go, I've had one that wasn't for me, two, it just wasn't my day, three, I wasn't prepared. If you come away having a bad day at work, being a stand-up, you think they hate you. Yeah. And people, they'll tell you. I've been called all sorts. Have you? Yeah. What, like after gigs? After gigs, online. Are you one of those that sticks around after a gig? I used to be. Did you? Just because I'd like, especially if I had a good one. <laughs> I'd be one of those. Like, just take the reviews there. I just sort of, because I was like 24, 25, you have a good gig, especially at like a student night. And I'm like, I've just gone up from being a, like, attractively a, a five out of 10 to a, maybe a seven. I'm like, <laughs> I think I'm going to wait around and have a Jaeger one for 50p. <laughs> now, I get out because it's the, it's just, I still love it, but it's just work. Yeah. And I don't want to be that guy who's like, hey, you know, I'm just the, Of course I'm the I'll have a drink with you, I'll tell you about my, my stand-up career. Because you get asked the same things all the time. You're going like, someone going, so who's your favourite comic? Uh, what, what's your, what, what jokes have you got? You know, I've just done them all. Yeah. Here's a joke for you. It's always racist. <laughs> so. Yeah, I was just about to say, you're not a racist comedian. No, not anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. Although, this, this Edinburgh, so I, I had a lovely time, and my show is very lovely. It's like a sort of like a live action rom-com, really nicely written. With music. With music, very heartwarming. And then this one, uh, this one reviewer, again from Chortle, wrote this very personal review, and I think, like, Luckily now I'm like seven years in so I can laugh about it and it doesn't matter. So I have some dead nice reviews. I think reviews are sort of bullshit anyway. Do you, sorry to interrupt, but do you read them? I try not to, but sometimes they at you in them on Twitter. And when it's there, you go, it's kind I of should a have minute. a look. But I think I'm very self-aware. I know when I've had a bad one. I know when I've had a good one. And I think good reviews are just as bad as bad reviews. Absolutely they are, yeah. yeah. It's just a one person's view. Yeah. And, and it, it can it'll affect your performance, whatever you do. Yeah, like I never find out when they come in. Because loads of people do like when, when like, oh, I want to know when reviews are in. Why? Well, I'll just do the show better. I'll do it better every day. Mm. Just do the best show. And then, so I had this guy, and I don't know where he got it from. And he said that my show <laughs> was borderline racist and homophobic. And I just like, and I can laugh about it because I know full well, it's definitely not. There's not even a bit where I'm like, mm, I can see why you thought that. But then you go when you start going... Oh God, am I? But also, how did he? How did he come up with that conclusion? It was a very personal review, and I've got a feeling that maybe this guy used to be like a stand-up when I started or something, and maybe I beat him at a competition. Or so it was to... quite personal. You felt it was a personal attack on you. Yeah, and it's easy. It's easier to say in it when you've had a bad one. When you go, well, it's just personal. But he did call me um, a tool that deserves to be lonely. <laughs> Really? Yeah, and he always calls me the actor Brennan Reese. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's that. Right. You're stepping into my field and you're an actor yeah. coming into this. Well, that's funny because we've really jumped forward, but I, w- I want to kind of jump back. Yeah, yeah. Because you did train to be an actor. I did. And you did go to drama school. Yeah, rolled around on the floor for three years. Nice. <laughs> in your blacks. In my blacks, in my practice skirt. So... That was that was the path you were going down. You were, you mm. wanted to, you were going to be an actor. You were yeah. an actor. You are you still an actor? Do you still call yourself an actor? I wouldn't do no, because I went there and, it, and it's. I guess that's sort of what happens when you go when you go like a youth theatre and you go college and then you go, oh, I'm one of the good ones in the year or I'm one of the good ones in my class. So then there's usually someone who goes, have you ever thought about going to drama school? So you do and you'd go all these auditions, and then I got in a couple. So I went to Birmingham School of Acting in 2005. And then you turn up and you go, shit, everyone's the good person in their class. Yeah, exactly. So the whole class is good, yeah. bar one or two bad eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Someone who just must have just learned like a good speech from Midsummer Night's Dream and smashed it and then like just get pissed every day. Um, so 
I went there and I had the best fun. I didn't take much away from it. I took the piss a bit, I think. In what way? I was away from home, so I was like, I should get to dick about. So you saw it more as like a playground than somewhere to sort of learn? Yeah, I didn't... Like when they were going like, right, let's let's learn about actioning, everyone get their action thesaurus out. I was like, what the fuck is this? Right. This is boring. I wanted to... So even then, costumes. even then, really, it wasn't... It wasn't for you, even if you thought it was. I'm, there must like, have been something in your subconscious that went, I'm just kind of going to take you, I'm going to take this for what it is and I'm going to have a bit of a dick about it. Yeah, like, and I think maybe it was that 18 year old confidence slash arrogance where you're like, well, maybe I'll be all right. Is that how old you were? You were 18, 18 when you went? straight away. Right. And I wish I went when I was like 25. Do you know when you, some places like, we don't actually let people in until you're 25? Yeah, I mean, there's a, yeah, look. I went when I was late 17, nearly 18. Yeah, yeah. And there was a time where I went afterwards, yeah, no, I, I kind of... Not regret, because I don't really... I'm not really a big one for regrets, because mm. otherwise it has a knock-on effect to everything in your life, obviously. But there's a for-and-against argument, I think, for what age... Yeah, and it, it depends is, on the person, is, is appropriate. I, exactly. I think it really does. And I was just very mothered... Never really had to, like, you know, fend for myself properly. So when I got there, I was like, oh my God, I get a thousand pound every three months in a student loan. I was like, this is great. I'm going to straight to HMV. <laughs> Spend all my money on DVDs. Get into loads of debt. Get into loads of debt. Oh, what? You get an overdraft. I'll have that. Yes, please. Yeah. yeah. And then found some proper good mates. We just used to sort of fanny around. And then in my. F- at the end of the first year, and again, get by, pass me little modules and stuff. End of first year, a teacher sat me down and she went, look, you've got some talent. You're not using it. Sort it out by the time you get back. So then when I got back in the second year, tried and sort of did fine. Did you knuckle down a bit more? Or a bit was, more, yeah. Yeah. So I stopped going out all the time and stopped, you know, thinking that when you're doing like, these classes like Feldenkrais and bloody uh, Qigong. You're like, what? I'm on over. <laughs> so I'd start taking them a bit more serious. And then in my third year, that was the, that was the year that I wanted, because it's just all performance. You do like three shows, maybe you do a little short film, you do your showcase. And then I was like, this is the stuff that I want to do when you're meant to put all the stuff into practice that I'd not learned. And what the course director didn't, particularly like me because I was a, just trying to be funny all the time. Yeah. She just put me in serious roles all the time. Doing accents. I can't do accents to save my life. I did like a, a an Irish play where I was like an 80 year old man. I'd come out on stage about, like, yeah man, how's it going? Like, what the fuck was that? Nice. So, and she was adamant. She was like, because I had dead long hair. She was like, you need to cut your hair. You need to lose your accent. You need to stop being funny because you're not going to get a job being funny. Wow. What? Exactly. And the little stubborn shit inside me was like, oh, I'm going to bloody prove you wrong. And, and recently they asked me to go back. She asked me, she called me up. She goes, can you come and do a talk? And I said, yeah. Did you say yes? But I'll, only if I can be completely honest about how I feel. And she was like, well, what do you mean? I was like, well, I feel there was some stuff like, like this, what you said to me, that wasn't useful. She was like, okay, well, we'll get in touch with a date. And she never got back in touch. Really? Yeah. Did she... Did she backtrack at all that about what she said? I think she tried to make it out that that she, like she was going like, well, you know, we were just trying to push like push her into a different comfort zone or push her out of your comfort zone. And well, the, you know, again, there's there's a, a for and against for that oh, too. Yeah. And I know that a lot of training they do try and do that, but to be so what's the word obtuse to say. You're never going to get a job being funny. Yeah. I mean, that's not one. It's not helpful, and two, it's untrue. Well, it's, it's possible because it's absolutely possible. Yeah. yeah, of course. So then again, I love these little karma moments. Although there's some, like there should be some things that I've sort of taken away from that, where I go, yeah. To be honest, I shouldn't have been a smart ass. Or do you think that sometimes? Yeah, I remember writing to my. 
like voice teacher, wrote him a Christmas card about four years ago and just said, sorry, <laughs> just said sorry for mucking about. Did you get a reply? Yeah. Sent me an email and he was really nice. Really? Yeah. Do you, but, f- do you feel better for having done that? Yeah. I feel sometimes you've got to be the bigger man and go, do you know what? I was younger, but I was a bit of a prick and I wasted some people's time. Absolutely. Because we're all learning. We're all can move on and yeah, move yeah. onwards and upwards. And I think it just gets that out of your system then. Yeah. And also it must be quite nice for them to be like, do you know what? I tried and they just weren't in the right frame of mind for it. And also maybe it was the wrong time for you to, I reckon uh, to go into that. Yeah. But then again, you can't have regrets because you wouldn't be where you are now if you hadn't have done that. True. So then I had my drama school karma moment where, do you know, when you do your showcase and you go yeah. like, you, you find all your bits, like your monologues and your songs or whatever anyone's doing. And um, I was lucky enough to get a little job. I wouldn't call it my first acting job because it was only like a crime watch reconstruction. <laughs> Job's a job, Job's Brandon. a job. And when, you, when you're in drama school and someone says, we'll pay you 300 quid for a day, you're like, what? <laughs> That's going to pay off that, <laughs> that overdraft yeah, that exactly. I've dipped into. So I missed the day when you were bringing all your stuff. So they were like, right, tomorrow you need to bring in these monologues so we can pick which one you're going to do. And again, being a bit of a smart ass, I was like, I haven't looked for one. And they were like, you're not allowed to write anything because we'll know. You're not allowed to make up stuff because we'll know. We can tell bad writing. So on the way back from, I was coming from Dewsbury because their Tesco had been robbed and someone I, had been stabbed. I already know where you're going with it. Red <laughs> rag to a ball, this, isn't it? I, I was on the train. I was like, I ain't got anything. So I wrote this, this speech. It's like a minute monologue. Funny one. And I was like, right, I need to think of a backstory. So what's the play called? I was like, I'm writing with a pen. I'm going to call it Ink. And then, quite good name. And then I was like, who wrote it? Going through Dewsbury, Richard Dewsbury, he wrote it. <laughs> Did this monologue. And this lady, who was the course leader, she, so I did, did this thing and she goes, that is, a, that is a really great choice. I remember when I saw that about four years ago. She didn't. And you, you could hear everyone's like bummels clench because everyone's like, we know he's written it. Oh, did other people? Everyone knew. They knew. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was like, yeah. And I loved the interpretation. And I just thought, the past three years of listening to you has been absolute bollocks. Oh my God. And then I did it as my... So, so I did that in my showcase and I got an age up from it. So you did my, my little, yeah, my little, uh, Did you ever go up to him and go, Psst, by the way, <laughs> I wrote this. No. 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 But, so that was probably my first gig, in a way. Do you feel that, looking back on it now? Because it was proper gaggy. So I'm, I must have had that in me to go, right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this funny little thing. It's written perfectly for me. It's sort of a bit autobiographical, and then it just just worked. So and you it, got you got an agent from it. Got got my agent from it, and then then started auditioning and stuff. And when was the moment when you went? Yeah, well, I mean, what was it? Were you not fulfilled? Were you not getting what you wanted from? I think it was a couple of things. So that's all I wanted to be. I just wanted to act and act and act. And like, do you know when you get like one of those people where you're getting so close to these things and it really gets you, you're like, ah, oh. one of those ones you're like, don't lose two for this, don't lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in my first year, I was dead lucky. Like I just didn't stop working, which, do you know, I'm so grateful for because I might have thrown the towel in six months in. So then we did that job and then I did like a musical and then, so I did a range of stuff. And then after maybe like 18 months, just sort of, it didn't dry up but it just sort of got a bit less. And I was like, ooh, there's like a nice three-month gap here. So I'd go and sign on. And then you might get like a little two days of filming. And I felt a bit like not in control. So that's when I was like, do you know what? I'm going to try and do things that I've not done. Not in any sense of like for a career. So I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this stand-up gig. I'm going to go and learn how to do this. I'm going to do that. So you just thought you were going to go and do a stand-up Just gig. one, yeah. It's all. It's like a hobby that's got drastically out of hand. <laughs> God. And I'm dead grateful for, for it. It's just a silly idea, isn't it, to go, do you know what, I'm going to be funny. But well, but why not try other things? When you think about it, you go, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? Yeah. Right, you, 
you might get crushed, you might, your spirit might get a bit crushed and you, you might feel a bit deflated, but, you know, you're going to be all right, really, in yeah. the end. And I'll just end up in the same place that I was. All I was doing is just living at my mum's and signing on. So you're like, right, well, if I go and do this gig in Preston and it doesn't work out, then tomorrow I go back and sign on and my mum will cut me tea. And so you just sat down and you just thought you'd write five minutes. Just wrote five minutes and just practised it again and again. So I think in your first year you sort of use, you know those pub stories that you have? Everyone's got about three. Yeah. I just sort of use them and try and punch them up. So I just watch loads of stand-ups just to be like, well, that's the type of stand-up that I like. I'm not really into like political stuff, so I'm not going to do that type of thing. And I'd go to loads of comedy nights before and just watch. Like my 18th birthday, went to a comedy night. 19th birthday, went to a comedy Like just all the time. So I think I sort of learned a lot of bits by osmosis where you're like, all right, well, I, I get that. When they go to the mic, they take the mic out, they move the stand. They end on the best bit. They start on the second to best bit. And we also learning about what not to do. Yeah. It's all very well and good, you know. Oh, well, that's what they do, but see, I wouldn't do that, so I, I can take that and maybe I can morph that into something. Yeah, and I think it took a while for me to get out of bad habits. I'd do a lot of, like, every time I'd start a joke, I'd be like, give us a cheer if you're... Whatever the joke's about. Give us a cheer if you're in a couple. Hey, I know couples. Blah, 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 blah. Right, okay, as a lead-in. Yeah. So did, in that respect, did it take you... A, how many gigs did it take you to really find your voice? I think it took years. Really? I still think I'm like, dipping in and out of it. I think the show's helped because you've got an hour to be you. And you've got that structure. But yeah, but in sets, I tried all sorts. I think my first few gigs, I was probably closest to what I am now. And then you're like, well, maybe I should be a bit more deadpan. So I used to do one-liners at one point. They were dead shit. Like proper like puns. I, I hate puns. I don't know why I was doing them. And then I try being a bit like edgier. I get a leather jacket on and I'd be like, I'm going to tell you about, you know, Jimmy Savile. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not that comedian. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, for a couple of years, I was pretend I was acting as being a comedian. Right. Instead of just being myself. Because, again, I've been quite, look like, I guess it's the thing when you, when you leave drama school where that's your selling point in it. You're the, you, you can only be as, you can do the best version of you. No one else can do it better than you. Same with stand-up where all my stories are so personal to me that when you go up and, and you're like, right, well, I, I can talk about my sister you know, being a ballerina or whatever. I've got that view. No one else can do that. So it yeah. makes your stuff you. And that's when you find out whether you get good, if you can make the stuff about you funny. And so you all my stuff's about family. And you say that it's, it's because it was a a hobby that's got sort of drastically out of control. Mm. Do you think it's going to carry on spiralling out of control? Yeah. And I mean that in a positive yeah, way. No, I don't no. mean that in a, in a negative way at all. I've been so lucky that this, like, daft idea is now my living. Because I get to live, like, a lovely life where, like, you know, I get to see my friends and have time in the day... There's a lot of travelling, but you get to a stage where you can sort of pick and choose how much you want to do of it. And the, the, I think the thing with it is, is it might do, but I've literally got no expectation. Like, if tomorrow they go, sorry, we've made a big mistake here. You, you weren't meant to be a stand-up, but there is jobs going on at the co-op near your house. You've got to go and work there now. I'll be like, all right. Like, do you know where you go? I don't... I'm, I don't I'm not owed anything. So I just feel quite lucky. So I'll just try and keep working hard. And then if it ends, it ends, doesn't it? And you do something else. I think you'll be all right. Brendan Reese. thank you so much. <laughs> and another episode is done. Huge thanks to Brennan for giving us some time in Manchester. Um, it's interesting, the stand-up comedy world, something I'm fascinated with. And do you remember last year when we spoke to Michael Smiley, his route into the acting world was, was through stand-up. So I think I'm going to have some more stand-up comedians on because it's all very, very different ways um, in how they work and how they get into it. 
so yeah, let's do that possibly in the new year. So massive thanks to Brennan, huge thanks to the brilliant Zephyr Blatt on Edge Street, which is a fantastic co-working space. So if you're in Manchester, you can go to the one in Edge Street or Media City. Maybe you're in Liverpool. I know they've got one there. And all you do is you pay... Uh, per minute while you're there and your teas, coffees, cakes, soup everything's, that's all free that's all on tap you can don't you don't need to bring your, your packed lunch with you that's all there, so go say hello, check it out, they're very nice, they're very friendly and it's a lovely, lovely space to do some work, Zifferblatt Edge Street um, right, I'm better crack on because uh, there's some ladies outside my hotel room who are busting to try and clean this room so I best be off um Thanks so much for downloading and subscribing to us. If you want to leave a little review and maybe some stars, or how many? Five, if you want. Five stars, that's fine. You can do that. It's much appreciated. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at Two Shot Pod. Maybe you want to drop us a line. You can do that. It's Two Shot Pod at gmail.com. So I'm going to pop off, let these ladies clean the room, and I'm going to go out into the blustery day in Lincolnshire. I will see you next week for episode 64. Until then, take care, stay safe. I shall see you next week. Until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. He's not here. And this has been the Two Shot Podcast. See you later. Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. 